This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. You are listening to the Media Week Podcast. My name is Dan Barrett, Deputy Editor at Media Week. We've got a very full table of people talking here. Uh, we've got Andrew Mercado, regular contributor. Andrew, how are you doing? Good, thanks, Dan. Uh, we're talking to Vicky Madden. Now, Vicky is responsible for writing the Kettering Incident which was definitely one of the um, bright spots, I think, in the TV calendar this year. One of the brightest so far brightest. in 2016. Yeah. Uh, and also joining us on the table, we've got Mike Jones, who is uh, contributing, I guess, to the writing? Story consultant. Story yeah. consultant. There we go. Okay, so we are very excited to talk to you because this is, first of all, an interesting production for Foxtel, but it's a really interesting text, so we're going to really get through the whole thing. But maybe we should sort of kick things off. Like, how did this sort of begin? So it was really talking... Uh, with the production company first and then Foxtel or what was the point? Uh, we started I'd just come back from overseas I'd been overseas for five years and uh, really wanted to come home to Tasmania I'd been in Ireland and I was a bit homesick because Ireland really you know um, kind of reminded me of Tasmania so I came back and I started writing just a bit of freelance and uh, but I was really starting to look at Tasmania as a place that I wanted to tell the story I'd never seen it my childhood on screen I guess so around that time Vincent Sheehan from Porchlight Films had been doing The Hunter down there done a film and he fell in love was with that the Willem Dafoe movie? yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and um, he fell in love with it uh, and, and uh, went into Screen Tasmania a couple of weeks after I had our funding body and they um, and he said you know I'd love to work with someone down here because it's quite difficult not having a, a local down there because we're very clannish and mm. you know island kind of mentality and he found it a bit difficult without having that Tasmanian connection of getting into places and um, I'd just been down there two weeks before and they said well look this writer's just come back and she wants to stay here so he literally came up to Launceston you know and basically said do you want to do something together and I said yeah that'd be you know fun um because he had producer skills, he's from a film background, mm. I was TV writing and, and producing my own stuff. So um, that's how we kind of, he said, you know, what do you like? And I said, I like, I like crime, I'm interested in missing people, and I like uh, science fiction now, UFOs and things. And he's like, okay, <laughs> right. Um, and that was our starting point, you know, so that, that's how we met. And then... Um, just started literally from there talking ideas. I had a very strong idea of genre that I wanted to do from overseas, and I, you know, I said to him, uh, and he agreed, you know, uh, about doing a hybrid show, which back then, four years ago, you know, we hadn't done anything um, like this, and so I had quite a strong um, uh, feelings about trying to push this through. And we, I think, a lot of luck comes into play. Mm. Because Foxtel would just, you know, TV in, in itself was becoming more bold. They wanted to really push the envelope a bit more and do something unique and different. And so, and we had a background, you know, between us. So we went in with virtually what we have now on the screen. It was a big, bold, universal show. We really, you know, I said, I don't really want to do a small, you know, typical kind of Australian parochial kind of show. I didn't really want to lift it and do a big, bold show that I was seeing overseas a lot with this, um, you know, new genre element that uh, at that time, you know, people were saying, we don't do that in Australia. Um, and I Which thought, is exactly why we should be doing it. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, um, and it has proved to be part of the most, um, I think, 
not just talked about but also celebrated part of the show is people saying, I just so loved seeing that element of the supernatural and how it worked. So. And just from a Tasmanian point of view, apart from the Beaconsfield telemovie, reconstruction of what happened there, I can't ever think of a TV show that was filmed in Tasmania. No, look, we've got all the small... We've got Gardening Australia's down there and we've got little, tiny little uh, yeah. things that the ABC do. Um, but no, we ha- we haven't done... You know, and, and there's also Blue Rocket, which is a little production company that does animation. Um, and they are very successful overseas. But um, this is the first kind of yeah ongoing drama. Yeah. I think you could actually smooth the microphone closer. You're probably fine with what you said, but yeah. Just a bit closer. Just, I realise my uh, Andrew's voice kind of booms a bit, and <laughs> I think about me editing it later is going to be a nightmare. Oh. Uh, yeah. Uh, you were saying earlier you were trying to harken back to your thoughts of Tasmania as you're a child. Is that the Tasmania that we see on screen, or is it slightly different sort of in your mind to how we do see it visually represented? Um, I wasn't brought up in that part of Tasmania, but I did have my memories of Tasmania were very. Um, gothic I suppose you know when I was little it was a rugged upbringing it was a brutal landscape if you like so I definitely we did a tonal meeting to start with uh, which is bringing the heads of department especially you know the directors and and the DP and talking to them about those memories and trying for us all to come to a look if you like so I I had, I always like with my writing anyway. To I'm very tonal with my writing, so I always like to have a word. So my word was melancholy. That mm-hmm. started the conversation. Is that that's the word? That's the style, and the I guess the the, the tone. Um, and then I just talked about memories of. It sounds ridiculous as a place to start, but it was the light that I remembered. You know, this particular kind of light down there. And it, and that light, I think, produces the sense of melancholy mm. that I like. And I remember playing in forests with dollops of light coming through the trees and the mud being red and things like that. So, um, and the wildness of it. There was a lot of... I, I grew up on a station property, so right up on the northeast coast. And um, the nearest town closed down, virtually not closed down, but the mining closed down. And so this life of Kettering is very much based on that, except it's, you know, it's the forest industry. But I absolutely knew the brutality of living and growing up in a place where suddenly the infrastructure collapsed because of um, the industry and and the impact that had. So I wanted to capture that brutality and and that uh, desperation, I guess. Yeah, and that gothic feel, do you feel that's something that is a widespread tonal sort of feeling, or is that just you being a little goth kid? Um, (laughs) No, look, a lot of people people go down to Tasmania, and and there is definitely something, you know, it's past is brutal, it's probably the darkest, you know, uh, one of the darkest um, places in, in its history. It was an island prison. And you can definitely go to places where you feel something dreadful happened, whether it be the massacres of the Aborigines, whether it's a convict history at Port Arthur or the more recent 
uh, Port Arthur Massacre. But there's a, a sense in some places that you just get imbued with it. And I know friends of mine I take down, and I take them on a particular Vicky Madden tour of Tasmania. It's a very particular tour. <laughs> <laughs> she takes you to all the backwater, dark places, and they're, they're unique and they're specific and they're unlike anywhere else in the world, I think. Yeah, just old hydro towns and this one place called Rossarden, which um, is one road in it. It's an old mining town, and there's all these stories that swirl around it since I was young about where missing people end up. And I've taken a couple of friends there, but um, as my last friend pointed out, I've got a really distinctive car, so I said, you may not want to keep going into that place because there's only one road out. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, so it is a place I think people do go down. They are drawn into that um, the, those aspects of it but it's also obviously got its beauty you know as well the east coast I mean the thing I love most about Tasmania which is like Ireland is that uh, any part of it you go is completely different you know you go to the west coast and it's wild mm. and you have the beautiful east coast and the best beaches in the world then the southern you know with all the mountains and then up where I'm from you know which is more dairy um so it is a, a really you know interesting place that I think is so hugely unexplored by people. Yeah. So pitching to Vincent at Porchlight, uh, how long did it take for Foxtel to get involved? Was Foxtel immediately going to be the go-to destination for you, or was that negotiation? Yeah, we did. We did. Um, we we really knew that it was going to be a hard sell because it was going to be a lot of money, and we knew it was going to be very bold. So we knew that commercial networks weren't going to be attracted to this this show. Uh, and did you know it'd be as complex in terms of the sort of mythological aspects of the show or at that stage was it really the murder mystery? No, no, it was going to always be this uh, supernatural yeah. thriller. Which which is interesting because does that mean that in the back of your mind you're thinking straight away when you do this even at this early stage were you imagining this is a show that could work well on Foxtel or maybe the ABC or SBS and you right from the start you were thinking this probably isn't an Australian free to air network yeah, commission definitely and and for me really even I was still very much connected to the UK and had you know really thoughts of um, keeping a foot there because I wasn't sure I mean you know the whole story of Kettering is a girl coming home realizing she doesn't belong and Mm. that was my experience so Mm. I was still looking over there so we did have a bit of interest over there for a while and then because of another show The Returned um, kind of took off there and it blew us out of the water a bit and Foxtel but Foxtel yeah straight away they were interested they liked our two pages which is what you normally just pitch there was a lot of questions, but they were kind of, you know, they were very open to us exploring. I think they were curious as to, to what... And they could absolutely recognise, I think, that the strength of it still is the murder mystery, which I think is really important in these kinds of shows to ground it. Um, but they were looking for something like this, and I think, you know, it was fortuitous. A lot of big shows are coming in from HBO, starting to infiltrate on our psyche here. It's funny because I can remember before they commissioned it, I can remember someone there saying, yeah, look, what I think what I think we need now is we need something a bit spooky, maybe like a picnic at Hanging Rock type thing, which is ironic now because now, of course, they have recommissioned their own version of Picnic at Hanging Rock. But back then they were talking about something like that, that place, Hanging Rock, which is weird but in modern times and ultimately that's what you took them so they were thinking along those lines before you went there yeah yeah and I think they were really 
you know, they were very aware of what's going on in the States, which was a lot of, you know, The Walking Dead or all those big shows that were going into... I mean, we buy those shows, but we, we don't make them. So I think they were really, OK, you know, let's let's do something. So mm. I think timing, it, it's all about timing. Mm-hmm. It's sure about is. Timing. Yeah. Now, having spoken to you a couple of times before, you've often told me about the inspirations for the series coming largely from the Scandi Noir shows. But something you did mention was Twin Peaks, and the more that I've watched the show, the more I'm seeing Twin Peaks all the way through it. So while the show, I think, is very reflective of recent TV trends, it also just seems to harken back to just this 1991 TV show from years ago, uh, years gone by. And were you sort of that conscious that Twin Peaks was such a strong influence on the program? Yeah, look, it's David Lynch um, in anything, really. Yeah. And he has a particular style. And, you know, what I, what I do a lot when I like something is I do tend to pull it apart and see how it works um, uh, and I do that with everything and David Lynch's material has all got a commonality of his style and it's basically it is presenting a lot of story through metaphors or symbolism um, that tells a story in pictures and tells a story in in thought processes and allows you to come to the story yourself. So it doesn't explain anything, which in a way is the beauty of Twin Peaks. It is what it is. Mm. And it doesn't end and tell you everything that you should know or should watch. And so people get this experience, it's personal experience, and I'm really attracted to that. I think it's, um, you know, it can be dicey, and I think he does go... For, you know, in in terms of TV, probably goes a bit too out there, um, and there's a balance, you know. But mm. I do, I'm very attracted to. I love telling stories in pictures, really, which is, sounds ridiculous because that's what we should always do, but we don't always do it. So this was a very big, um, uh, a very big effort to tell a story that was symbolic, full of mythology um, and imagery. Um, that's not necessarily, you know, it can be interpreted. All the answers are there, uh, but that I'm not explaining anything to people. It's for them to come to it. Yeah. One of the things I found, I've mentioned this to you before, is just when you're actually watching it, especially in the first two episodes, and I do find this dissipates a little bit as the series goes on, but you can watch those first two episodes and watch it without the volume on and you still get a sense for what's going on because it's so mood dependent. But I did find over the five episodes after that, sort of double episode beginning, that it became a bit more narratively, not necessarily strained, but definitely uh, narratively driven. And I was wondering, the actual seven episode run, did you want to go a little bit longer? It just felt like you sort of wanted to maybe luxuriate a little bit more than I think seven episodes allowed you narrative-wise. Uh, yeah, oh, eight episodes, sorry. Two with I can't count, it's terrible. Yeah. <coughs> no, it's because the two was combined. State um, education. <laughs> but we did first... Um, pictured it was 10 parts mm. and probably and for me I hadn't done an 8 part before so a lot of it and I do like to I always like to take all my characters with me on a journey so it wasn't like Anna and all the supporting cast I, I like every single person and that's a big big thing so it could have been 10 it could have been 13 probably um, uh, but I think you know we had a couple of different writers in the middle as well and uh, uh so you're always going to get, you know, stylistically slightly different. Mm. Probably, you know, um, uh, if we went forward or if I had my time again, I would have written the scripts myself and all of them myself and just largely got to a point. Um, but then sometimes it is nice to get a different different voices in there. But it, like you say, it's a very particular style that um, that we were going for. So. 
Yeah. yeah. And obviously, when you watch the first two episodes, it's very much about setting up the murder mystery. And then after that, the supernatural elements sort of come into the fray a bit more. And I thought maybe this would bring Mike into the conversation slightly. Um, at what stage did you really start to need to develop that sort of aspect of it? Were you sort of writing that first two episode block and then incorporating the mythological aspects in after that? Or how did that no, work? No, before I started, I did. Uh, brought Mike in, talked a lot about um, what I wanted from the supernatural and um, supernatural has to have a purpose and the purpose for me was to tell the biggest story you know about our disconnection to the land and and the cautionary tale that that might entail from that and transgressions uh, from people who made uh, made um, decisions that would come back and haunt them if you like so I had those elements already in, in, in play as the story, but I, I wasn't kind of hugely familiar with the mythology I was trying to tell. So that's where Mike, this is his world, you know, this kind of world. So he was sort of tapping into my story head about what I wanted, and then he would um, come in and say, well, this is, you know, this is really a Faustian uh, kind of mythology, or this is a Cassandra and we would talk through that, and that could inform where my characters were going to go, or what I could do to deepen it, or or layer it with more, you know, uh, interesting elements that that some people would pick up, you know. And uh, so, yeah, it was uh, it was very much adding a, a stronger layer to pull it into story and not have it too, you know, esoteric or too out there that had no meaning. It's all got quite a strong meaning mm. throughout. There was a, a very particular... I mean, my first response to, to Vicky when I read the script was, what, what do you need from me? Is this, this world is so interesting and so visually taught. Um, but Vicky's a writer who, who comes at a project with such a specificity of tone and knows what she wants and, and very particularly brings people into a fold who can fill the gaps. And so I felt like, well, I'm there to fill a few gaps. So we t- I, I, she explained where she wanted this place to go, and we spent a lot of time just world-building, of, of making sure there was an internal logic that was really sound, mm-hmm. that the supernatural was not tokenistic. I, I, th- I, I worry sometimes when, a, when Australian writers and directors particularly go to genre, who, who don't have a, a long tradition mm-hmm. in the genre, they come at it very tokenistically, or they come at it for the tropes rather than the substance. Uh, and that was something that he absolutely wanted to avoid. She said, if this is going to be a supernatural story, if it's going to go into extraordinary territory of, of the uncanny and the gothic and folklore and fairy tale, then we have to go there with some truth, some, some character truth, some substance. And that really means setting up a world that has clear rules and, and that weird things are going to happen, but they're going to happen with a kind of consistency. And, and there's a logic to them. And I think, I think as a result, Kettering's a show that really rewards a second viewing. Um, because there's there's no wasted imagery there. Mm. There's if a character's got a colour on, if they're walking in a certain way, if they're in a certain part of the forest, it's very deliberate. Um, and I think I think viewers that, that engage with it will see, hopefully, see that that hard yards we did. Would that will that also be the same case if you binge watch it as opposed to watching it week by week when it went to air on Foxtel? I, I think there's an accumulative effect with right. Kettering, um, and I, I think you do get a lot out of it seeing week to week. I, and I'm not usually one to say that. I think if you're going to have a gap between episodes, kind of earn it. And I think this mm. show does. It allows you to kind of gestate uh, or digest, with a better word. Um, having said that, I, I watched it sort of each week as it was on air to see it fresh. And have since went back and just watched it again. Just someone to see it again, and and so did my family. And they and they were seeing things a second time in that compressed space, mm. 
and connections between things that might have been lost between weeks. So I think it's a different viewing. I think it, I think the depth of the story world holds up to that. I hope it does. I hope people get yeah. a, a good second go at it or a third go even. Yeah. Um, how did you two come across each other? What's the uh, I'd come back again from overseas and really starting to find this interesting genre and someone I think had told me about Mike or I'd come across he's got a really good website just MikeJones.tv um, <laughs> thank you uh, you're welcome <laughs> um, and uh, so I, I, I had you know thoughts of I must track this guy down and then I was teaching at AFTRS and Mike was a lecturer there and so I just um kind of asked around and found him and just because I was working on a feature that I'm still working on <laughs> um, trying to crack it that and asked Mike for help and so uh, we'd been talking about that and so when Kettering came up I thought well this is a perfect um, way because like Mike said I, I don't necessarily need big writers rooms I like to bring in people that are specific to what I need in the story world and that might be a cop or it might be a forensic psychiatrist or it might be a mythologist what I call Mike um, you know, and, and he was great in doing that because the other thing with the mythology as well, I really wanted to ground it in uh, to be specific to Tasmania. Mm -hmm. So the toxic waste story is very mm -hmm. much a story. All those stories are part of our, our, you know, world down there, and that was really important as well. Our closeness to Antarctica. So all the stories are woven into it as a Tasmanian mythology. You know, not just random. So the stories, even the three men in the town, that was very much how I grew up the heads of families around the town and the cop was just the you know lollipop guy really where I was helping across the road but you know so it was very specific to Tasmania a lot more than probably people realise in that way yeah there was kind of just to add to that there was a um, <coughs> I mean there was a specificity sometimes too I think I think Vicky found in plotting the show um the, the mythologies we're looking at, the, the folklore stories, these very traditional narratives, were problem solvers. When, we, when she would back a character into a corner, we go, okay, well, what, what happened in the ancient Greek version of that? Or what happened in the, mm. in the Germanic folklore, Hans Christian Andersen version of that story? And, it, and, and suddenly these characters and the archetypal stories would start to give you story answers. Um, so we kind of, it, was always a, it always felt like you had a well there to draw upon whenever yeah. the story got into a certain I mean, place. I always describe it as a kind of a dark fairy tale. Yeah. And you set the tone and it's got the music that's kind of got a fairy tale aspect to it. Um, which So that's a familiarity as well that the audiences don't go into the forest, you know, because um, there's always bad things in mm. the forest, Little Red Riding Hood, you should know. Uh, so being based in Hobart, or are you in Hobart? No, I'm in I was going to say Tasmania. I don't know anything. I know. I'm I'm You're just looking at me with the As disdain of uh, mainlander. <laughs> yeah. And you've got to say lawn, not lawn system. I can't, you, I can't you, even you do this. It's fun out every time. It's going to destroy me entirely. <laughs> in Tasmania, yes. uh, you're obviously sort of going to be surrounded by people of whom took ownership over the property immediately as soon as they discovered there was a fairly big budget production happening there because it's not common. Uh, there's suddenly a lot more productions happening there post-Kettering incident. But at the time, you know, this is kind of the first one. So I'd imagine it's probably a bit of a slight cocoon around you of just people very excited about it. But how did you go sort of watching it as the show was airing and just noticing the reaction from, first of all, the people immediately around you, but then also the sort of wider um, artistic community? Well, it was interesting because Tasmania is a funny place. It's very territorial and it's very protective over itself and the people inside. And this is the, what Vincent talks about a lot when he was working down there as an outsider. 
uh, people are a little bit suspicious of you if there's no connection to Tasmania, uh, etc. So I was very aware that there might have been a backlash from Tasmanians, you know, this girl coming back and who she think. And I did get one very public um, dressing down very early on from a guy who called me a lauded sophisticate <laughs> coming home and uh, I was reading that when I was in my gumboots and my green thing, take my dogs for a walk. I thought, oh, I like that. I'll have that. Thank you very much. It's not and the business I'm card. Um, and, he was and he was very concerned that it hadn't actually been shot in Kettering and real nitty-gritty. Yeah, so Kettering, Kettering is actually sort of, it's a very small, you know, two roads, crossroads and a ferry stop. And... Um, so there wasn't a lot to, you know, there's no town as such. So, and there's no mine, there's no, um, there's no, uh, you know, wood mill or anything. So I've used Kettering as a place, again, that was a place that I visited as a child and, and thought was very glamorous because there was water and houses around the water and a uh, small life. But, um, uh, so there was a little bit of why, why did you call it the Kettering incident? But what happened? Because I really wanted the world premiere to be down there, and and I was insistent, and we all agreed to use a lot of cast from Tasmania. I think people realised I was making a huge effort to uh, make this a Tasmanian show, and I had to be very careful to do that. And that's what I wanted to do, you know, selfishly, so I can continue living there, <laughs> and people can come to me rather than me constantly going out. So they now, I think, look, they're, you know, I am part of a, the Tasmanian Filmmakers group and they're a very active and very big theatre group and f filmmakers and they're all very proud and it's doing them a lot of good. So I feel like generally around me in my immediate family, no one really knows what I'm doing or up to. <laughs> they just say, you know, I said this morning, my mum always says, because I'm always broke, you know, because you work for a short amount of time as a writer and then you don't work for a year. So my mother's always despairing that, you know, I have never have any money and suggests I should do real estate. And then people tell her they've got this show and it was too dark for her to see because she's nearly blind and it's very dark. And, you know, so I tell her the story and, and yeah, she doesn't really... Um, I think she just thinks Vicky's been this odd child all along, <laughs> making up stories, and now some idiot's paying her to do it. Now she's moved to television, so that's all right. So they're all small key, but my friends are, you know, excited about it. They're very proud to see it. I think they're really surprised by, by how Tasmanian it is. I think that's the big thing that they get, and people from Tasmania, like the boy this morning, they go, oh, my God, it's just so is that that world uh, so they all recognize that and I think outsiders probably don't understand as much how how Tasmanian it is I suppose in that way talk yeah. us through the uh, scheduling and rescheduling of it because Foxtel were going to screen it last year 2015 and then it was pushed back which of course makes everyone nervous in TV people think oh there's something wrong with it I know oh, I love so I love let's talk about so. that you know, being put onto your show and people assuming that and, and was it as simple as Foxtel saying we think this is a winter watching experience and well, if so yeah basically it was going to be scheduled for 2015 and then um, and it is a winter show and then what happened was Foxtel acquired uh, Place to Call Home from Channel 7 and that was a 
instant kind of something that happened quite quickly. And they want to get that on air to keep... Um, momentum. Momentum. Yeah. Well, it's serialised, so you mm. kind of need to... Yeah, yeah, and to not lose that brand or that audience. So they said we'd follow them, which pushed us down to November. And Vincent and I really thought it's a winter show. And Brian Walsh agreed with us and Penny Wynn agreed with us. So we kind of bit the bullet and said, well... And it is, you know, we knew that that instantly, you know, this um, industry loves to immediately think the worst possible scenario hopefully um, that it was just a matter of we really wanted on in winter and I think people now say you know it's not a, you, you don't want to watch a show like that in summer you want to curl up by the fire and mm-hmm. be scared I think I think Fox were, were smart there too they, they by going later they could put it behind Game of Thrones rather than behind a place to call home and, and it was the right audience and there's a lot of good strategic choices that I think worked very well yeah. Um, how were you sort of feeling about the critical response as soon as the show started going away? Because it was pretty universally positive, I saw. Yeah, it was brilliant. The f- it was it was amazing because, you know, it, it was such a big risk. I don't think people realised how big a, a risk, because even though, you know, within the time there was a glitch and, you know, glitch came out, not there was a glitch, glitch <laughs> came out. Um, and uh, But it was still a big, expensive risk for... Foxtel, to their credit, they held their nerve, what we call holding the nerve, to go to such a big idea uh, and the bold idea it was. Um, So we were thrilled when we started getting really, really good feedback from the press, which, you know, can go one way or the other, it just depends. And we were thrilled. I think everybody was ready in Australia to embrace something new and different and that the, the ambitiousness of it. You know, 10 years ago, I think it wouldn't have worked. I think people would have said, who do you think you are and what do you think you're doing? I think because people have been starting to embrace the big HBO shows mm. and that, that they kind of are thinking bigger here, you know. So uh, we were thrilled. We were really surprised at how well it was being received. Um, while well, you did a talk recently at the Australian Film Television Radio School, it was called TV Talks. For anyone who's in Sydney, it's a Tuesday of every month and you get to hear all these sort of off-the-record conversations. And there was actually a problem that day in the room. Nobody could text through messages to the oh, moderator. Right. There was yeah. something wrong. The phone lines were down or something. Because yeah. I was in the audience. And the question that I would have asked you then, because you were there with the person who created Glitch... Yeah. And the question I was going to ask you is that all of you uh, get all of you get to this situation with the first series where you have to wrap things up and provide some conclusion, but of course you also want to keep that foot on the other side of things and go, if we go for another series, we need to keep this going. So how difficult was it in writing the ending knowing you've got to do two things at once now? I knew from the beginning how we were going to shape that. Um, I always knew that the, the, the murder mystery was always going to provide the um, uh, spine of the show. And if you didn't like supernatural or if supernatural kind of elements, you know, didn't make sense to you or, what, or you weren't interested, you've got this very solid spine, which I think is really important in these kind of genres. Um, and that was always going to be resolved. So, and the supernatural, look, you can't build a new world in eight episodes. So, in my head, I always knew 
where it was going to end but to me it was an end point in, in as far as my question of you know is there something out there um, so for me I wanted to do two things which I did which not everyone agrees with obviously if you look at the Facebook page but, <laughs> which I don't anymore yeah. um, but I, my, what I wanted to achieve what we wanted to achieve was to um, answer that question is there something out there yes there is and that will um, create a bigger question which is sort of what every sci-fi show in the world does so I kind of thought you know and Vincent and I we were really really excited you know that that that's that we pulled that off <laughs> and um, so yeah it was a bit surprising that uh, but you know what's interesting uh, just on the immediate reaction you know was from uh, people who I think are just used to watching shows where you explain what happens uh, as you go on and we always knew we were being you know uh, um, quite um, open with this idea and that people are going to come to it their own way um, but that immediate response was really interesting to watch this wave of confusion or anger or whatever coming out the first couple of weeks was quite intense um, and confusing you know for me I'm like did you not watch the show what did you go and watch the, how did you not know that how did you not guess this um, and then after after about this into the second week we started getting this feedback that was uh, people going okay this is what I think happened and then this whole wave shifted and all these people came back with theories and that was fascinating to watch you know it was brilliant and when I saw my first brilliant um, girl fan in there who nailed it got it all right in the second week I, I this wave of relief flooded <laughs> over me because I thought it can be worked out it, it, it's, it's all fine everything I knew that I had done has ticked off paid off um, and so it was just it's just a matter of thinking it out now a lot of people are engaging and, and having a lot of theories about it which is what you want out of a TV show I think you want people you know that are still talking about Twin Peaks you know you want that audience so it is a bit hard at first but it is when you're trying to do something different I think you just got to suck it up and, and hold your nerve you know yeah, the season oh, season finale reminded me so much of the series finale of Twin Peaks. Just in that, it just seemed like this really big idea that had so many sort of questions at the end. And as a viewer, you actually really had to come to it and spend some time really working out exactly what was there. I feel that all the uh, signifiers are in place to be able to work it out, but unless you put in the effort in, it just isn't going to happen for you. And was the Twin Peaks finale maybe something that was in mind for you when you were crafting that? Like, was that a consideration? Because it is totally so similar. Yeah, do you know what? I have to be really honest, I haven't seen the finale. Oh, really? And, and I would actually debate that because... Sorry, Twin you should, because that's a really good episode. The yeah. Twin Peaks gets cancelled, and they get cancelled. So their ending is forced upon them. That's the point. Whereas you're, you know, you're writing your eight episodes knowing this could be a one season, and if it doesn't work, we're, you know, this is, this is going to have to suffice. Yes. That's always in the back of your mind, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and, so and, yeah. I, know, I know what you're saying. Mm. Totally it was that, but the, the Twin Peaks one was actually forced upon them. And here we are 25 years later. And still they're going to pick it up in 2017 next year on Showtime. I know, right? it's going to be. 
interesting. But yeah. and you think about like the Facebook response though. Like Facebook wasn't obviously around no. when season two of Twin Peaks wound down. So I mean, I think the response to that show would have been quite different if it, people it had a really media reaction against. Yeah. It's really interesting to think of what Twin Peaks' reaction it would achieve now if it was mm-hmm. on air in the internet, Facebook mm-hmm. age, um, and and the polarizing nature of the conversation. But I think that's why twenty five years later we're still talking about Twin Peaks mm. uh, when so many other shows we're not. There's there's something about this show that that was a great privilege to be involved with in seeing it just commit to it. I think in Australian television we've often not committed to big ideas. And this is a show that says, I'm going to go there, we're going to go there, um, strap in. And that's, that's a, I hope that's a lot of fun for audiences. Yeah. Uh, now, I saw for the launch of Kettering when I was down there, the joke around was, you know, commissioning season two because Brian Walsh was around and you know, obviously, you know, a <laughs> bit of a nudge towards him. Uh, I haven't heard anything about a season two yet. Is this conversation going on or yeah. where are yeah. we at? Yeah. Look, Fox Show don't want to commit to any statements or anything, but. Mm. Um, you know they've always they've always been uh, open to let's see how it goes, let's see what the response is, let's see what you guys have got for series two. So they've always been you know uh, let's see they've certainly never said to us this is the only series you're ever having and you know and I think now they're looking at it going well it rated very high and yeah. it's had really interesting big responses so I think they're really thrilled with it so definitely we're in early talks with them yeah it'd be very disappointing if it doesn't go ahead now obviously you do have US broadcast now as well where Amazon are in fact started streaming as of a couple of days ago Mm. yeah so have you heard much from like US viewers of whom started discovering the show I woke up um, last week I think and you know as I said I don't go on to the the website anymore because it's a bit traumatic but um which is a shame because you know it is it is nice to read the theories, but it can be um, <laughs> you know as a fragile writer it too much to take. But um, I woke up one morning and there was an avalanche of new viewers, and I thought, gosh, what's happened overnight? Because we didn't think we were screening for a couple of weeks, and uh, and there was all these new likes, like three hundred or something. So I thought, what is where did this all come from? So I started looking on; they're all US and. You know, from what I could see, I went down quite a few, overwhelmingly positive. You know, I think um, uh, it was amazing, and some of the responses. You know, just like, oh my god, we've just watched all of this series, and now we want more. So that's encouraging. You know, really encouraging. Yeah. If Foxhole decide they don't want to proceed, but Amazon are looking at it saying, well, our metrics are quite good, is the possibility to maybe sort of shift a to a different broadcast? Yeah, look, definitely, um, definitely, that's on the cards. But I think you know we love Foxtel to 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 be our guys. We had such a great. We did have a really good working uh, relationship with them, and you know I, I'm not really sure of the the machinations of what happens with that. But look, definitely, you know it'll be around some form. Yeah. Now, obviously, you have a very big star in the form of Elizabeth Debicki. Uh, she's got she's doing some movies. She's got some stuff going on. She's doing a bit of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if the show does get picked up for a second season, is that a problem with trying to schedule her? Um, look, all the actors is hard to schedule. I think uh, the thing about Elizabeth is Elizabeth loved this show. It was her baby, and it was her big. Um, it was a big breakthrough show for her for TV. Um, and she takes a lot of ownership. She's very proud. We email each other. So, look, I think that she would, uh, when we get down the track, if, if we get to the point where we just need to convince her to come back, I don't think it would be... I think if the schedule permitted, she would definitely want to, and I think that it's up to us, Vince and I, to 
um, you know, create something fantastic that she can't say. But late at night, <laughs> do you think to yourself, well, if she doesn't come back, then I could always do this. Is your mind splintering off to doing a second series without her? Is, well, is that an unavoidable, yeah, writerish thing yeah, to happen? It is, it is a writerish thing to do, sort of thing. All right, what if, you know, yeah. what if that didn't happen? And um, there's, there's completely different avenues you can go, which, you know, the, the beauty of a show like this and bringing all the characters through and having a world to delve into that's uh, exciting. I think there's, a, you know, a plethora of um, uh, interesting um, avenues you could go down with a show like this. Yeah. Now, her character for, I think, about three episodes is wearing a Saints T-shirt. Yeah. Uh, where did that come it, from? It generated it's, a lot of talk, didn't it? It did. Well, it's just such a striking sort of image. And look, she looks great in it because it's this bright red sort of logo against very sort of drab Tasmanian sort of background there. So, like, it really stands out. Was this in the script or was it just no, a bit of water? No, it wasn't in the script. I, I really wanted her to wear the same clothes the entire series, a bit like, you know, the Scandies do. They sort of yeah. just mm-hmm. take out that element of worrying about how people are dressed or whatever. So it was And it's just about Sarah Lund's jumper. Yeah, about yeah. Sarah Lund's jumper. And, and there's something attractive about that, especially for female characters, you know, because you never notice the other characters, the male characters, <laughs> whether they change their shirt or not. Uh, so it was really one of the directors really just... Uh, I just saw it, you know, on the rushes of, like everyone else, I think. What is that? <laughs> Um, so, you know, it was just something that they were worried about, her wearing same clothes, I guess. And, and that was just uh, obviously a T-shirt that somebody, you know, one of the directors probably took a liking to. I don't know. I don't know. I'm as confused or in the dark as anybody on that one. Because the character doesn't strike me as a Saints fan. No, she's staying at Fergus's. I think that the idea was it was yeah, Fergus's house. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I can appreciate that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know, it's a bit odd. Yeah. Um, what about the... Um, I just want to talk about some of the other cast members in it. When you say to me that there's Tasmanian... A lot of Tasmanian actors were involved in that, does that mean that some of those cast members are from Tasmania and they mm-hmm. went back there for that? No, no, no. They, they were living there. So the guy played Adam um, Holloway, Brad. Um, he's Tasmanian. Yep. Uh, Sandra, who was the nurse, was Tasmanian. Macca... Um, who was the head logger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mouth. Uh, Lofty was, on the ferry. And Lofty, yeah. Nathan, he was Tasmanian. They all lived there. A couple of them have moved now. Um, but th- no, they all lived there. And um, Alison White is Tasmanian. She came back. And now um, Chris McQuaid has moved there. She's moved there, there hasn't yeah. she? Yeah. So it's kind of a bit of coming and yeah. going. <laughs> going. But no, they were who we found there. They, we auditioned down there and they were the ones that sort of came out. Because there's quite a healthy theatre group down there and there's a really healthy short film industry down there. So they do get a lot of experience, you know, uh, but none of them had done big auditions before. So um, so it was very exciting for them. I, I feel like a proud mother really with them and I hope you know they get picked up and you know now we have Rose Haven down there so a couple of them have gone on to yeah now this is the new ABC sitcom with Luke McGregor and Celia Celia Picole yeah yeah yeah. so Luke's Tasmanian so it's really based on his family I think yeah as as much as I can tell Uh, and that's you know they're now benefiting from some people with some experience down there so you know we're building up a bit of an industry and certainly my 
my dream would be to sort of do something like encourage somebody like um, uh, they did in New Zealand. You know, Peter Jackson got the whole you know edit sort of facility, the post production facility, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and so in, in, uh, infrastructure. Yeah, so it'd be great, you know, if somebody sort of started thinking that way about Tasmania too, because I th- I do think it's generating a, a hell of a lot of interest in the state. And there's so many more um, areas in Tasmania that are unexplored. Uh, and my next serious idea is, to, you know, I just want to stay down there and build up that. So I'm hoping that there will be a few people that decide I'm going home, you know. And certainly there are a lot that have come home. So. Yeah. Uh, sorry. sorry. You, uh, while I think about this, you talked in your TV talks about being very, very inspired by certain TV characters from your youth, shows you used to watch with your mother. And I just... Just wondered, you know, when you talk about a character like Ina Sharples from black and white episodes of Coronation Street, do you put um, facilement, uh versions of those characters into your shows when you're thinking? Do you think, oh, that woman's going to be the gossip? She'll be like the Ina Sharples person? Yeah, what I try and do is use, um, I try and get an actor in my head so I can visualise. Right. So, um, you know, someone like Sasha Haller, for example, I've always liked her. She's always a favourite of mine because she just melts into the character. And I know a lot of these characters in this town or versions of them. They were very strong to me in my mind. Um, So she was always in my mind for Barb. And uh, for Fergus, that cop was a cop. You know, it's very much based on the cop that was in our town. And, And he embodied goodness. You know, he's the moral compass of the show. And so when we first saw um, Henry Nixon, he was just, there he was. That was the cop that I remember. Mm -hmm, He looks like him. He's got the same sensibility. So yeah, I try to, um, you know, visualise who these people might be. Um, Even if it's an, an actor, you know, like an American actor or anything, just to give it a visual thing. But definitely, you know, characters from your past that are very strong you have to, you know, look at them and, and respect why we still know their names and why they were so archetypally perfect, you know, for TV. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so the next project you move on to, will it have a similar sort of gothic approach or do you want to try to shake it up a little bit? Like, Look, it's, it's, it's got... Uh, I, I have spoken about it to a couple of people and said, I'm doing a straight drama next and then the response back was okay. you don't know how to do a straight drama there's nothing straight about it so it's kind of it's, it's, I suppose it's got the same um, same you know I've got a couple of projects on the on the, um, I suppose on the horizon but primarily I do try and keep a tone that I do like there's a very mm. particular you know uh, uh, David Lynchian I suppose inspired um moodiness and also fairy tale uh, kind of mythology that I am really drawn to at the moment, you know. There's no sunny romance comedies coming up anytime soon. I was really looking forward to your rom-com. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So you've talked about the shows that have sort of inspired the creation shows like Kettering, Uh, but what are you watching at the moment? Like, what should we be looking at now to know what your next project may embody? Well, I've just watched and loved Happy Valley. Yeah. Oh yeah! Wow, we love. We've talked about that many times here. Yeah, just bang bang. Yeah. Talk about binge watch. Oh, yeah. Saturday series one, sure. Sunday series two. Yeah. Very cheery program. Yeah, really yeah. happy, happy go lucky sort of show. But you know, incredible. Um, look, you always. I'm always looking for. I'm always looking for the ways other writers and other uh, creators 
um, do what those magical things do, and that is make really complex characters. And Sally Wainwright, who does Happy Valley, just there's a moment in it where it was just so powerful. Talking about the, which I won't give away on here, but talking about when she had the birthday, her birthday, and her son. Mm. Mm. And suddenly it flipped everything mm. on its head about the antagonist, yeah. about our protagonist. It's, you know, and um, that to me, I just go over and over and yeah. over and yeah. over and over and over, you know. So I love that. I've started watching Trapped, which is new, um, Icelandic, I think. Oh, yeah, I've yeah. watched that on the ship. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I haven't yeah. quite got I've watched the first uh, So I watched Bridge 3, of course. That's my, probably one of my favourite shows. <laughs> Um, so still watching a lot of Scandi. I'm about to watch Narcos because someone, mm-hmm. a couple of people the now. Netflix series, yeah, yeah, the yeah it's okay. Said it's <laughs> quite good. Um, so I can't think of anything else at the moment that I have watched because I've just been my life's sort of been turned a bit upside down. I've been travelling a bit, and um, but the Happy Valley was the last big one that just went kapow. Mm-hmm. You know, it was mm-hmm. like the killing did to me when I watched that. Um, so yeah, still really, you know, attracted to strong female led, um, but taking females outside of that they're not just, you know, uh, they're just characters, but they're incredibly good characters. Even if she was a male character, you wouldn't have to change anything. Yeah. Um, so I really love that and the storytelling, and I'm hoping to, I'm going over to the UK in November to um, Content Twenty One um, to speak and. Um, I'm hoping she's going to be on the panel. I'm just going to fangirl <laughs> her around the place, which, you know, um, which is kind of a really nerdy writer thing to do. But yeah, she's she's doing some, and she directs as well. It's yeah. very inspiring. Yeah, uh, Mike, what about yourself? Is there anything that's been rocking your boat? Um, sometimes it's things that I love, and sometimes I think that are really flawed, but I find really exciting. So um, I'm quite into the Nick. The yeah. Steven Soderbergh series it's I, amazing I, I kind of get off on historical dramas every now and then I sort of go there but even shows like 112263 you know, it's oh, yeah. a flawed show but every now and then you get a scene and you oh, they've got an idea that, that's really great so I, I find myself sort of writing as I'm watching uh, even stuff that isn't necessarily great but, but is, is speaking to me so I've been looking at a lot of historical dramas lately I think yeah. there's an interesting space you get to certain um, zeitgeist periods of time where where looking at the past is the is the most effective way to understand where we're at. Uh, I think we're in a space now where, where history dramas have a certain uh, impact that they might not have had a decade ago. And CGI can fill in all the backdrops yeah. now in a way they could. Yeah. Much better use of it for me than a superhero movie. That's right. Know. And then it becomes seamless and authentic, yeah. at which point you can really engage with metaphor and Correct. idea and, and allegory, yeah. which, which, which great speculative fiction does. Mm. Actually, going back, Penny Dreadful was actually my last before Happy Valley Penny Dreadful came on and I just I was just bleating about that wasn't I to anybody who'd listen and then people would watch it and go what are you talking about (laughs) but then I saw the budget you know like you know we can't compete on that level. Even their establishing yeah. shots in that show would have a hundred extras, twelve horses, and you know, you go, oh my, that's not CGI, that's real horses. Yeah. Okay. Uh, final question, and this just comes from having sort of binge watched the catering over the last couple of days. There's the point in episode four where the night vision goggles go straight back on, and that is episode four. Oh no, sorry, you're, because you're watching the double. Yeah. Sorry, I'm yeah, watching yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. No, you're right. But anyway, the goggles go straight on, and from that point, the show really shifts because that's the first real confirmation that there's something supernatural happening, and it's not just a theory; it like really is sort of what's going on. 
how do you know that that is the point to let that sort of tip towards the supernatural direction? Like, was there the point where you're like, oh, well, it's halfway through the narrative, or was there another bit of thinking going on there? No, it was always going to be... I was always conscious of where that was going to be, but it's still Dutch's point of view, mm. if you know what I mean. So, um, so you could argue either way, but there was definitely a point where I knew there was going to be a time where people said, um, this is there's something out in the forest and they're going to go there, you know, that it has got that element. So um, that was the um, scene that we decided that would, would be it, that was the confirmation. And, you know, we wanted it on Dutch because Dutch was probably the most cynical. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Um, so we thought if it happens to him, then people would probably kind of say, you know, maybe there is something there because... Um, uh, Dutch would never bind this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you that right at the end just because it's the most spoilery thing I wanted to talk about. Also, it scared the shit out of me. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> It was definitely a moment. A lot of people said the end of four, that was where we got a lot, oh, end of three for you. Yeah, yeah. That's where a lot of people, um, I was quite surprised. That's another big thing that surprised me when I started watching it because I kind of felt like, oh, did I, did we kind of achieve what we want? I really wanted, the word for me was kind of unsettled people. I never wanted people to feel this is a comfortable place to be, you know, or keep people on their toes. And you never know whether you really, you know, because you see so many over and over. And and, um, uh, and the response from my friends and from, uh, you know, online about people going, oh my God, I can't watch this, it's too scary. <laughs> What? <laughs> I was quite surprised. They're that clearly that. not watching the stuff we usually watch that's really scary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. They think this is scary. But isn't that good in a way that people who don't normally watch this sort of thing is watching it and enjoying it? A different yeah. outside their genre? Absolutely. That's probably the biggest... Um, what, I, what I love most, but what I could also see happening quite early was, you know, with a lot of people saying that uh, Supernatural doesn't... You know, there's no market for it in TV in Australia... I saw very early on, as we were watching the Twitter feed and, and Facebook, that people were immediately jumping to what's in the forest, what's in the forest, and no one was really talking about the, the human crime elements. Mm. And I'm thinking, guys, there's a crime <laughs> over here, because I knew, if, and they did, and they just built and built and built, and I thought, do you know what, everyone needs to take note of this uh, in terms of the way this show has been embraced has just been they love the scary that people love to be scared and people love the unknown and they and so there is supernatural is here you just need to deal with it well and it is here and I think there's a huge appetite and I think that's what uh, I got, you know, out of the the response to the show because, yeah. you know, the, they go, yeah, 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 that we found out the end, you know, what happened in the crime story. But what about the... <laughs> yeah. Well, over the last 55 minutes, Moss has been creeping into the office, Moss are hitting the window, <laughs> so we probably need to bring things to an end. Uh, guys, thanks so much for stopping by. Now, people can find you on Twitter to harass you with their theories. Um, Vicky, where can people find you? I'm on Potato 12 uh, but there is a Kettering uh, one two, so I'd advise go on that one because uh, I, I'm not going to answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike, you're quite active on the Twitter as uh, well. Yeah, MikeJones.tv, you can find me in most places. Fantastic. And people should also check out MediaWeek.com.au and across social media on Facebook and Twitter at MediaWeekAUS. Thank you very much for listening and be sure to check out Kettering Incident because it's really good. Anyway, thanks guys so much. 
Thank, Thank you. you.